Oh, man. I got a uh, little Facebook reminder that showed a picture from five years ago of us in the point. And uh, I realize a lot has changed for us. A lot of purging has gone on in this body. Purging is hard. But it's good. And a lot of growth and maturity has happened this morning. I want to hit on a couple of things real quick. Uh, There's a women's event that's in the bulletin on March 30th. Don't forget that. It's important. Women, be there. It's a breakfast? You can sign up at the welcome desk. We have a welcome desk, and that's where you can sign up for that event. And also, can you see that junk back there? Amen. And we're hoping this is the last Sunday that that stuff is in here. Some of y'all are like, no, I like it because it makes it feel like you guys aren't trying to be perfect. We get that. We, we've done that. We, we played that out. And now, and now we're, we're ready to, to not have junk in here anymore. So we did the circle stage in the middle. We had the junk in the room. We're totally free to be ourselves, but we also want to be organized and clean in here. So if you guys will take a look in the back after service is done and see there's a bunch of work going on there. There's a bunch of work. Dave, thank you. Thank you. Witchy, where you at? Yo, give these guys a high five and a hug when you see them. Okay, you're not going to believe me when I tell you this, or maybe you will. I don't know if I've earned most of your trust. I think I've earned some of your trust in here, at least from the pulpit. We did not stage any of this to be doing a building project while we're teaching about Nehemiah. Some places they do that. Some places they stage things like that and it's a little forced. We've had that happen enough here in this church where what we're going through just happens to line up exactly with what we're teaching about. It's not, we don't have like a team Figuring out how to make you feel like we're living this. We're literally living this stuff out and it's happening all around us. And the word is our directive. Okay. Um, is there anything else before kids? Be at home groups. We bleed home groups here at this church. And the reason is because if, if, if just Pastor Nick and I or elders Ben and Mark... And their families, our families, and our deacons, the Acevedos, and the Quicks. If we're the only relationships that you guys have when it comes to growing in the Lord, you will be at a disadvantage. But if we establish relationships with other brothers and sisters that are sitting around us and that we're doing life with, what will happen is when we're in need, when we're hurting, there will be people that are like, Hey, how can I help you in this season of hurting? As opposed to you having to get over the hurdle of, I don't feel like I know Pastor Nick so well. To which, if you don't know me and you want to get to know me, let's do lunch. You can totally come up to, let's do lunch. I want to get to know you. If you don't know me yet, don't think that it's 
Just come up. If you don't know Pastor Nick, he wants to do lunch with you. His schedule's wide open this next week. <laughs> Be in home groups. Ask us to coffee. Ask us to lunch. Let's do that in here. We're not at a place where you can shrink. This is not one of those places. There are places like that where you can go and no one will know and you can be there for years. If you've been doing that, not shame on you because shame's not good, but, but like grace to you. Grace to you. <laughs> Build some relationships in here. It's a small enough church where you can do that. Build relationships in here. Don't get lost in the pack. Okay. All right. We're going to let kids go. Because I can feel the prompting. So reach out your hands towards the children around you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these little ones. Lord, they are precious in your sight. So Father, would we train them up well? Would we teach them what they need to know? Would they not be a burden to us? But would we be patient with them? May we be like you, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, good to them. Father, help us to learn from your example in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. Unto life. I think we've broken past the uncomfortable barrier of talking about finances with the people in this church. It's more uncomfortable for us, I'm sure. It's not uncomfortable for Pastor Massey. I don't think there's many things that make him uncomfortable. I'll at least tell you when I'm uncomfortable. So we've been doing these projects around the church. Praise God, we just jumped out in faith and are doing those projects. So we've racked up another 15000 in debt. So all that we ask is, after the holidays, after all of our material possessions have been purchased, if you have anything left over to give to the Lord, please give freely without reservation. It's a little bit of a jab. I'll take that back. Let me speak frankly and directly. Please give to the Lord consistently and sacrificially. And don't forget, even if you're out of town or it's a holiday, if the Lord is prompting you to give any amount, don't say no to him because he'll just bring you back around the mountain and you'll have to give it later and it might even be more. Or you'll say no and your heart will grow cold and then you'll have to repent at the altar in a few years and finally break. This is how it works. That's a cycle of sin. Okay, let's talk about the message. Amen. We're off to a good start. The title of this message today is Do Work. That was a phrase for a while. Do work, son. I'm from the South. Where's Natalie at? She doesn't give me... Where's she at? She's in the nursery. She doesn't like it when I refer to the fact that I'm from the South because that was like 10 years ago. But I'm still from the South. I still grew up there. All the sayings there. Do work. That's a Southern phrase. Is it up here? No. You're educated. Okay, I get it. <laughs> get to work. Get to work. So that's what we would say down South. And it's time to... Do work, we say, do work. You look at a, a young man while everybody else is working and he's trying to have an emotional conversation. He's chosen this moment 
to grab his friend, step aside while everyone's doing really hard work and, and confess his sexual immorality to that person right then and there, right at the time that it, you know, it's time to do work. So you walk up to them and you say, hey, do work. Does, is that cold to you guys? Man, it's not, it's not catching. There's no traction here. We would walk up to people who should be working and we would say, do work. In this culture, we're seeing a growing number of people not working hard. They don't have a good work ethic. I won't mention his name, but he knows who he is. When he first came to this church, this body, I was raking with a young man. And he got, uh, let's see. Here, I'm going to use this, uh, use this thing here. He should show you. All right. Steven, why don't you come up here? So look, this is Steven's rake. So look, so here's, we're, we're in my backyard. We're in my backyard and we're spreading mulch. So here I am doing work. And I'm going like this and pulling and just grunting and sweating and like, and Steven, you show them what you were doing. If, if that, if that, I would say that that's Jay, come up on the stage here for a second. Okay. Show them again. Show them again. That was a little generous. That was a little generous. Okay. Now, now, and now you hold the mic here. And now this was me. Thank you, Steve. Y'all give him a hand. He's grown, by the way. That's why we can talk about this. He's a much harder worker now. But I remember saying to him, is that how fast you rake? Is that... Where did you learn to work? And he was like, what do you mean? Do work. We work hard. I'm going to get to the scripture here in just a second. But the, the idea of grace in our culture... We misunderstand grace. We don't, largely, we don't understand grace. We think that we're, people talk about the dispensation of grace or the age of grace. That's all hogwash. It's all hogwash. The, we're in the age of grace as if God used to not be gracious, but now is gracious. That's, we, the Lord is gracious. That's what he said about himself. In the Old Testament. Our understanding of grace, often what it translates into is that we don't have to work. That's what it translates into. And so what do we have? We have uh, a culture within what we call Christianity, where it is largely introspective. And the whole of what we do is, is, is simply looking into our own hearts, our own lives. What is stopping me from being successful? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, right? What's stopping me from really getting to the next level in my business? Help me, Lord, show me. What's stopping me from really earning the money that I can earn? And we use this to try and better ourselves so that we can become more successful. That's what we've largely turned it into. And grace has been used as a reason why we don't have to work anymore. 
It used to be about works, but Jesus came and showed us that it wasn't about works, but it's about his grace. That's all hogwash. And it didn't come from Jesus or from Paul or from the people that wrote the Bible that we say we, we believe in. It came from somewhere else, not from one who speaks truth. And so what has happened is we don't work anymore when we're talking about saving others and rescuing the oppressed. We, we, don't, we don't have that anymore or we do it in the name of humanitarianism without Jesus, without being led by the Spirit, but simply as a, a, a charitable deed. We volunteer for projects. And, and you know who's beating us at that? The world. The world does a much better job of rescuing the oppressed and the downtrodden than we do. Because we've become so introspective and we've made it all about us. So that we're not focused on rescuing them. What I've been seeing here in this body over the last five years is that I feel that we've done the introspection. I feel that purging has happened in here. I feel like we've had repentant hearts and repentant attitudes. Now, some of you have only been with us for a few months. Some of you have only been here for maybe a year, maybe two. But what has happened is over the course of the years, we've gone through some really, really hard stuff, rough stuff. And it's purged us. And it's broken us. And we've found strength in the Lord. And he has repaired us. And he's now brought us to a place where we say, well, now what? Well, now that we've been comforted, we go and comfort others. Because we are a body. And if we are a body, then we shouldn't be stuck in a perpetual state of being babies. Who don't understand or don't realize what we were put on this earth to do. But we should grow up and become mature. And reach maturity and then go and teach others, raise up others, rescue and liberate others. Don't you see how that's what the body is meant to do? So the title is Do Work. Let's go to Jeremiah 31. If you look around the room, I have hung little multicolored poster boards. My wife helped me write them. She did a great job. All the gates that we're going to read about today are up on the wall. All the men and women who helped build the structure up again are up on the wall as well. What we're going to talk about today is the rebuilding of the wall. It actually happening. We've been leading up to that in the, the previous weeks, but today we're going to talk about the rebuilding of the wall. I want you to think as we remember in the, that first week and we remember about trauma and talking about trauma, the day when you finally look and the work is done and the junk is not in the sanctuary, we don't see studs in the back and wires and pipes and dirt everywhere and the kids are able to use the bathroom the day when the work is finally done is a glorious day for them how much more would it have meant because of all that they had been through all that had gone on when they finally were able to look around and see 
the walls reconstructed and rebuilt. Look in verse 38. This was a prophecy that the, that the people I'm sure were holding on to. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this city will be rebuilt for me from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The measuring line will stretch from there straight to the hill of Gareb and then turn to Goa. The whole valley where dead bodies and ashes are thrown and all the terraces out to the Kidron Valley on the east, as far as the corner of the horse gate, will be holy to the Lord. The city will never again be uprooted or demolished. The people were looking forward to the day when this would be true. Go to Psalm 48. We have to remember that, the, that life wasn't just happening to these people, that they were following prophecies and they were following the words of God that had been given to them. And so they were looking forward to the fulfillment of his promises. We were singing earlier, I say, yes to your promises, yes to your word. Saying yes to God's word is saying yes to his promises. Because following his word means you will experience his promises. And that's the way that they thought. The way that they were thinking is, we're going to do what he told us to do, and so we'll see what he said we would see. Psalm 48, 12 through 14 says, Walk about Zion, go around her, count her towers, consider well her ramparts, view her citadels that you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever, and he will be our guide even to the end. It's hard for us to understand the importance of walls because we don't have walls in our lives. We don't live with those. You can't directly compare them to police officers, right? I think the easiest thing is I was trying to think of what could I relate this to that we'd be able to understand is your home where you live. If it was destroyed, destroyed by a fire, earthquake, tornado, hurricane, something happened and everything that you know and love was destroyed. The rebuilding of it would be a big deal, wouldn't it? Rebuilding the foundation, putting up the walls, each room be, being established, you would say, and that's where this person's going to sleep, and this is where we're going to do this, and then this is going to happen in here. The Morrisons are a perfect example. I have walked in their home because I know that what will be happening in their home is that I know that we will meet there and we'll be singing songs and worshiping together and eating meals. So I'm walking through that home as it's being built and I'm praying and I'm picturing these things and I'm excited for the day when it's finally done and built because I know that it'll be a blessing to this church, amen? I'm excited about that, I'm excited for them and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in that place. That's the easiest way for us to relate to what they're experiencing. But you have to understand, what if this had been home to their entire nation for hundreds of years and all of the promises of God were tied to this land for them? Now what might it mean to them watching it be rebuilt? What might these promises mean for them? Because this, to them, 
was the faithfulness of God on display. Do you see? So they were looking forward to everything being built. So with that being said, let's go to Nehemiah 3. Eliashib the high priest is verse 1. And his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. By the way, rebuilt is the word that's used over and over and over again. Indicating that what they built out of was what was there. Were there things that were brought in to help? Yes. But largely the work was done out of the ruins of what had been before. People will talk about how actually it made it stronger that they built it that way. But it was built out of what had been before. Rebuilt the sheep gate. There's a sheep gate over there. If you look, I actually put them in the order of the way that it was around the city. And the people that are listed next to it are the ones who built the sections in between the gates. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred. Y'all are going to have to help me today. I'm not going to break down for you the Tower of the Hundred, the Tower of Hananel, the Tower of the Ovens, the Great Projecting Tower, the Pool of Siloam, the King's Garden, the City of David, Tombs of David, Artificial Pool, the House of Heroes, Upper Palace, Court of the Guard, Hill of Ophel, the Wall of Ophel. That's hard for me. I want to go on every tangent possible and tell you where absolutely everything came from. Because that's the way that God designed me. But for your sake, I am laying down. What matters most to me this morning to bring to you the word that I feel the Lord has given. So pray for me, which they dedicated. And as far as the tower of Hananel, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zakur, son of Emery built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by, why do you think they named it the fish gate? It's where they, it's where they brought in the fish. Where they brought in and took out fish. That's why they named it that. Sheep gate. Why do you think they named it that? That's where they brought in and took out the sheep. That's right. Uh, they laid in its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. Hear this. After I get done reading this sentence, let's all say, ooh. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Ooh. Ugh. Maybe more like that. Ugh. Disgusting. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I think it's interesting that it calls them nobles and then says that they didn't do the work, which doesn't sound very noble. Right? It would be like if it said their most upstanding men wouldn't help with anything. Right? It said their nobles wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. Uh, another version says they did not lift a finger to help their supervisors or that their town leaders refused to do the hard work they were assigned. Now, when you think about nobles, right? 
I think about men who are wealthy, who have titles, who have responsibilities. People look to them. They own land. Maybe they even have some servants. These nobles were leaders. And they wouldn't help with the work under supervisors. You infer a lot of things about the nobles as you're reading this. Now, we read later about nobles in chapter 5 and stuff like that. We're going to get to them later. But for now, these nobles that we're seeing, it stands out because everybody's working hard. You see all the people that are listed here. I mean, this represents thousands of people that are in between these sections that are working up. But there's these nobles who wouldn't help. Who were these jerks that were sitting on the sideline not helping with the work that was being done? The Jeshana Gate was repaired by Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Bosedea. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made from men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Won't go down too much of a tangent here, but I'm going to tell you this. The men of Jericho, the men of Gibeon, and the men of Mizpah were all contained within Benjamin. It was land that was allotted to the Israelites. But the people that were there weren't part of Israel originally, were they? The Gibeonites weaseled their way in to be part of the people of God. But here they are getting to help build the city of God. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranath, places under the authority of the governor of the trans-Euphrates. Also, real quick. A governor of the trans-Euphrates. You have to remember that this land was conquered by another king, the king of Babylon, right? And then Babylon itself was conquered by someone else. So this land outside of where they went in Jerusalem and where they were rebuilding was under the control of someone else. Remember that. So outside of Jerusalem, right outside where they were rebuilding, there were people. Those people were under the control of someone else. They were there and were helping rebuild the city. Where was I at? Uh, Uzael, son of Harhaya, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. One of the who? Goldsmiths, okay. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers... What's a perfume maker doing building a wall? How stable is that wall going to be? Have you ever tried to help someone with a construction project? And they tell you, no, no, no. That's for skilled labor. We need skilled labor only doing this work. I've, I have been told that by friends. If a perfume maker can help build the city of God, why can't I install his plumbing? <laughs> Everybody jumped in on this, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Haramoth, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, Son of Hashabaneah. I, I, Y'all can amen me after I get through some of these names. 
made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Haram, and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. That's better than a double oven. That's a tower of ovens. Think of how many dishes you could make at once. Come on, Kim, wouldn't that be a dream? Shalom, son of Halohesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Women, y'all got to remember, I get women coming to me and they're like, why don't I get to see any women heroes in the Bible? I, I always say the same thing. They're there. You just have to look for them. They weren't elaborated on like the men were, but the women are there. They might just get, and his daughters, but what you can say is women were helping rebuild this wall. There you go. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the... Some things... The Dungate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. It's worth noting, I did have a good joke there. I've been talking about me maturing and growing too. And for your sake, once again, I am laying down that which is precious to me. The Fountain Gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kolheze, Jose. Ruler of the district of Mizpah, he rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half district of Beth Zur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. When they're rebuilding all this, if we were going through a home and repairing and rebuilding our home that had burned down, I used to be an insurance agent millions of years ago. And I actually went to a client's house that had burned down completely, completely. This was in total over a $700,000 loss. And uh, the man previously uh, in, in the year before had lost his wife. And all that he had left was his dog who also died in the fire. And so literally, he had lost everything. I went there the next day after it was safe to walk through it with him. And what he was pointing to was, this is where we used to sit. This is where we would tell stories. And this is where Lady, his dog, this is where she would sit. She would bring the paper in, to me and she would just sit there and we'd watch Jeopardy and and he just walked through we walked through the rooms and he would tell me what happened in this room and the memories that they had made in this room when it's saying the pool of Siloam the tombs of David the artificial pool the house of heroes to us we're reading and it doesn't make much sense to us but in the same way that as I'm walking with that man and he's recounting the memories 
and the stories that took place in each room, remember that as it says, the pool of Siloam, an entire backstory of Hezekiah and the way that he prayed for 15 more years, and then the way that he rebuilt that, or built that tunnel so that water could come to them if they were ever to be laid siege against again, and that Jesus drew from these waters, and the rich history of just this little gathering of words here on this page. It doesn't make much sense to us if we just scan past it. You have to understand that when we're talking about the rebuilding of these things, that it is eternally deep for them. They're not just rebuilding their son or daughter's bedroom. They are rebuilding their history. They are watching the promises of God resurrect and come back to life. They're watching the faithfulness of God spring up again as they rebuild each one. They're recounting their history and where they previously felt forgotten. Now they know that God has not forgotten them. That's what it means to them as we skim past all these places and towers and gates and pools and gardens. Even the garden. The place where it was, there was an overflow of water and it kept the garden well watered so that it was producing vegetation year round. I mean, this was a big deal. Each of these little things has its own backstory. And we're skimming, all, we're skimming over all that because the main point is that everybody is coming together to rebuild this. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rahum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen under Benui, son of Hinadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, son of, Josh, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent of the armory as far as the angle. Do you hear how there are people who are rulers and rulers of half-districts and leaders and nobles, and priests, and there are also goldsmiths, perfume makers, men, women, there are gatekeepers, there are singers. If we went back to all the lists of the people that came and were helping build and we broke down each of the names that are on here, you would see that each of these people came from different backgrounds. Each of these people even came from places other than Jerusalem. Some of them were coming to help in the work and they were not even included in the family. Some of them, their names didn't get recorded because they couldn't find their genealogical records. Some of these people that are being listed here, you don't read about it because we're not in the book of Ezra. Some of these people said, you know what? During the years of exile, I married foreign women and I want to repent of that. So I'm sending away my wives and children. And then they came and they helped rebuild the wall after that. People have left this church because we didn't mention a certain word in a sermon enough. We're talking about people who at the request of the leaders said, you should send away your foreign wives and the children that you have by them. And said, you know what? You're right. Did it and are still there on workday. That's a different, different level. Right? We get offended at the slightest thing. He, I don't think he's actually even said hello to me. I don't know if this is our church anymore. I mean, this is where we're at. Where they're at is, he told me to send away my wife and child. I'm going to be the first one there on work day and help them rebuild walls that aren't even in my backyard. This is, all, this is what, did anybody else think this? That when they rebuilt the wall in Nehemiah's day, that everybody rebuilt the section in their backyard. Did anybody else think that? I thought that for the longest time. That's not what happened. 
Some people rebuilt the section in their backyard. Many people rebuilt sections that they had nothing to do with because it was a part of the greater work that was going on and they were doing it not to serve men, but to serve God. What an idea. The work that was happening was being carried on by people from every background, every profession, from every location. Do you know also that there were people who disagreed with them having people send their wives away? They said, you know what? I want to go on record as I disagree with that. I don't think it's a good idea that you're having people send their wives away. And they were there on work day. They disagreed with what the leadership had decided and they still showed up. This is a different level, guys. This is moving past the selfishness that we see in the nobles. Do you see that? And it's getting to the place where we're like, wait a second, I'm not here so that my comforts can be satisfied by all these imperfect people. I'm not here because the preacher looks good enough, talks good enough, that I look up to them and want to be like them. I'm not here because the setting of the sanctuary is pristine and it makes me feel comfortable. I don't go here because of what others can do for me, but because there is a work of God going on and I am a part of it. That's the attitude that they had. I'm not doing this because I agree with what everyone says. I'm not even doing this because this has been an easy route. I'm not doing this because it's the most comfortable thing to do. I'm doing this because this is the work of God and I am a part of it and it's time to do work. It's about more than me. Do you see that? Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Let's pause for a moment. Let's talk about Baruch. First of all, his name means blessed. Baruch Eloheinu Right, come on. Yeah, blessed. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Baruch, it means blessed. For Nehemiah to say that someone zealously worked. Can we skip it? Are we allowed to skip ahead just to chapter 4 for just one second? Look at verse 6. It says, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So Nehemiah already said, hey, all these people are working with all their heart. Now, you got to remember that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. So the artists, the dancers, the chefs, the decorators, the construction people that were there, everybody that was there, were they, were they at the bottom of their skill level? Medium? No, it was the king. It was the king of the land. He had the best people working there. So when Nehemiah, who rebuilds a wall two and a half miles long, 40 feet tall, eight and a half feet thick with thousands of people singles out one man. And this is the only man that he singles out and says, this guy zealously worked. Do you know what this word zealous means? It means he burned. This was Nehemiah's description of Baruch and the way that he worked. This dude burned. Have you ever seen someone working 
really, really hard. There was a day out in that hallway before it looked as pretty as it does now where we had a concrete mixer. Do y'all remember that day? And we had, how many bags of concrete did we have? Yeah, pallets and pallets of concrete. And we were dumping it into the concrete mixer right there in the hall and then running it into the bathroom and everywhere else that we needed it and filling up tunnels. We had to redig and dig up tunnel, uh, little trenches that we had dug. We filled them in and it's like, oh no, we got to get to it again. Dig up the whole thing again. We've moved everything back there, back and forth over and over again. I can't count how many times. But there have been times where I've seen someone and they get that fire in them. And I watch them just go to town and you can see they stand out and it's like, oh man, that dude is working hard. And you either say, get out of his way and let him just do his work because something has taken him over. Or you say, just do whatever he says because he's on a roll, right? He's, got, he's working in some anointing right now, right? This was Baruch. I want you to contrast Baruch with the nobles. So here is Baruch, whose name means blessed. It reminds me of the story of Jesus where he's washing the disciples' feet. Now, this is the God who created everything, took on flesh, humbled himself, became lower than the angels, and then knelt down on a knee as a servant to wash the feet, the dirty feet of his imperfect disciples. Did they deserve it? No. He wanted to love them freely. And so he gave of himself, not because they deserved it but to show them the most excellent way. And he said, do you see what I have done for you? Blessed are you if you do the same. When I think of Baruch and I think of how zealously he worked and that his name means blessed. Blessed are you if you do. And then I think about the nobles. Why didn't the nobles work harder? Was it because they thought they were above being told by someone lesser than them? Maybe the supervisors were younger than them and it was hard for them to receive orders. Maybe they thought that the work wasn't worth much. They thought, what are you guys doing? They came back and it wasn't what they expected. The work wasn't as glamorous as they expected. Maybe they didn't think that it mattered whether or not they jumped in. Someone else will do it. Whatever the reason was why the nobles didn't put their shoulders to work, they didn't realize that the kingdom of God was being built and a book was being written about them. And that the way their names would go down in history is that they were the nobles who didn't shoulder the work under their supervisors. Can we get real for just a second? Many of you have seen your faces Dozens and dozens of times. Are you shouldering the work here? What might be your reason if the answer is no? Could the nobles have had the same reasons? Too busy. I don't have any skills. Right? I'm working on something else. I have something else going on. What are your reasons? Ask yourself, could the nobles have had the same reasons? Why? You look around and you say, look, what work is there to do here? 
there's work. I had a friend who told me one time, it was talking about, uh, I came to join uh, her and some musician friends. And uh, she said, just very uh, lightly, just full of so much joy. She said, get in where you fit in. Referring to just pick up an instrument, pick up something, just jump in somehow, contribute some way, get in where you fit in. What I've found is that there have been people here in this body who have asked for ways to help and then continued to press in and then found a place and become vital. Where the opportunity or the window or the spot or the project didn't just present itself and jump out and scream that it needed them, but they've pushed in and pushed in and pushed in and all of a sudden they are now doing something that is vital to the work that's happening here at this church. You might say, well, that's just this church. They were building the kingdom of God. No, for them, it was one and the same. Do you realize that the things that we do here, when you give here in this body, you're not just giving to two guys that are, okay, I, I, okay, it's not so bad. I guess they're doing some good work. It felt good there. I guess I could give. That's where we get it twisted. That's what we've been trained to believe. Because we've been trained to treat this like a business. And we go and we pay for the entertainment that we received like we would at the movie theater or a restaurant. And so we can justify our giving or our paying because we say, well, it was a good experience. So I'm, I'm that's twisted. That's twisted. When, when we work here, it's, well, I don't have any kids. So I'm not really using the children's area. Or the nursery. Seems legitimate. Seems like a legitimate thought. <laughs> but the reality is this is the work of God. And learning here to give generously. To serve selflessly. Teaches us to do it out there. This is the training ground where you receive what you need to do what God has called you to do. We do it here among friends and among people with tons of mercy. So when we go out there and you might say something that gets you punched in the face, you've learned, wait a second, no, I know this is the right thing to do. I experienced the favor of God and the blessing of God when I did it in the body. This is where we get trained up to do out there. We serve the least of these there and here so that we can learn to serve the least of these out there. Because what you'll find is as you begin to serve the least of these, still got some sin in the heart. Still got some issues here. So what happens? Maybe you pop off. I can't say that. That's a street term, isn't it? Jess, you got to help me out because Anthony was telling me about it. Can't say pop off. We don't use that word up here either. When you get upset with someone, as the educated might say. You get upset with someone. Why? They scheduled you multiple times in a row. Ready to curse. Just multiple times? Who do you think I am? Right? So we, we find, oh, okay. There's sin. There's sin in the heart. Let's address that. Let's correct that. Right? I'm giving. Wait a second. We don't have any money. We can't meet our bills. And this is a perpetual problem. Let's learn to be generous first. Let, let's, let's address the issue 
of the hold of money on your life and on your heart will address that issue. And then you learn to be generous. Right. But they don't deserve for me to do this for them. They've treated me this way. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's sin in the heart. Let's address that sin. We're going to address that. Do you see? And now when you go out there and you're trying to serve someone, but then they retaliate with hatred, you already got you already dealt with that sin. You learned it in the body. Remember that? Right. So we learn to address these things. You give to someone out there and you're like, "Mm -mm, I wonder what they're going to do with that money. I wonder what. No, no, no. You address the issue of generosity in the body. You learn to address that. You realize that it's more about your heart. And then when the Lord prompts you, you give as he prompts, regardless of what will be done with it. You address that issue in the body. Do you see? This is the training ground. People speak up. They give words in here. Let's be honest. Sometimes the words that come from the body, sometimes they're spot on. Right? Sometimes everyone in the room except the person giving the word is thinking, that's not good. That wasn't it. Are we at that level of honesty where we can be that way as the church? Come on. (laughs) But then you have brothers and sisters that come up to you and say, yeah, I think that word was for you. I think that word was off. So then we address that and we learn and we grow. Then we go out and we give a word to someone that we don't know, but we do it with confidence. Why? Because we learned in the body. Think then how detrimental and pointless it would be if the body is not actually addressing sin. If you're actually a part of a body that's not addressing sin, what's the point? Right? It is cheaper to go to a theme park or a movie theater, I think. Right? Or to just take more vacations or or buy ourselves more things than it is to be a part of a body. If all you're looking for is comfort and entertainment, it's better to not do this. But if you really want to grow and help build God's kingdom, then we've got to do work here. Amen? We're still together. This is good. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. From whose house? And who did it? Merimoth? Not his house. Helped someone else. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs besides his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Hinadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle in the corner. And Palal, son of of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east in the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. So you've got some people that are building and they're building by themselves. You can walk around here afterwards and you can see sometimes it's just one dude working on a section like Baruch. Sometimes it's An entire people group, the men of Jericho, and they're working together. Some of these people come from family lines where their fathers were keepers of the commands and they were righteous and honorable men. Some of these people come and they're trying to take back the name of their family. Think about it. As we look around, are these people so different from us? Are there electricians in here? Are there baristas in here? 
Are there construction workers, plumbers, demolition experts, right? Fathers, sons, daughters, mothers, Chick-fil-A employees, <laughs> teachers. We've got people from all walks of life here in this body, don't we? Some of us come from families that did a good job teaching us to obey the commands. Some of us are first generation believers and we're trying to take back our family. We're not so different than them. As we are doing the work of God and as we are building, we're singing this morning, we have come to Mount Zion. Do you believe it? The difference between Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. We are walking by faith to do work. Let me address this one thing real quick. Many Christians, people who call themselves Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, have gotten uh, it twisted to believe that the way that we are better believers is by sinning less. We associate how well we're doing by how little we're sinning, or at least how aware we are of our sins, right? If that's been a thought in your mind where you have associated your relationship with God or how well you are doing by how much or by how little you are sinning, please raise your hand. Keep it up for just a second. Let me say that one more time. If you have ever confused how well you are doing with the Lord by how much you are sinning, Please raise your hand. Good. We'll settle for what we got there. I think there's more, but we'll settle. We think that what pleases the Lord is us sinning less. This is also in the same way that we talked about grace and the misunderstanding about the word grace. That's total hogwash. We, it's a license for immorality in many people's minds, which is exactly what Paul said it's not, right? It's not what grace is. Grace empowers. In the same way, people have been confused about what pleases God. Is what the Bible says pleases God is when you don't sin or is it when you live by faith? Because without faith, it is. Without faith, it is. Okay, so let's pretend that I'm not going to live by faith, but I'm not going to sin also. Can I please God? So that means that I cannot sin and still not please God. If we sit on the sidelines while this work is being done, even if we sit there not sinning, this is not what it looks like to live by faith. To sit down while the work is being done. No matter what your excuse is, no matter what justification you have for not contributing, for not being a part, this is not what pleases God. So if you're working hard to figure out how to not sin anymore, but you're not living by faith, you will find yourself spinning your wheels, not getting anywhere. Because it is walking by faith where you will experience growth. As you walk by faith, you will grow. Walking by faith is how you get the sin worked out of you. We're trying to avoid faith, make it all logical, 
and just deal with the sin. Do you see how that's a trap of the devil? We have been saved to do work and not just random work, but specific work that was prepared in advance for us to do, which means we have to partner with him to know what to do. But if we eliminate that part and just try to not sin, we will ultimately stand before him face to face and say, I think I did a pretty good job. I, I didn't sin much, you know, so I mean, am, am I in? I mean, grace, right? I have a feeling that many people are going to stand before him and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But, but wait, I, was, I didn't sin as much as this guy. I mean, that, I, I know it wasn't Baruch, but uh, at least I'm not living in Babylon. And can you hear the nobles saying that? I, I may not have been working zealously, but come on, we can't all be Baruch, right? I got things to do. I'm busy. Whatever their justification was, when the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah was written, they were recorded as those who wouldn't shoulder the load. Do work. That's how we demonstrate our faith. That's how we live by faith is by doing work. The trap of the devil has been, no, 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 wait. The Jews tried to prove their righteousness by their works. That's how they thought would save them. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by his sacrifice alone. Hear that. We're saved by his sacrifice alone. But now that you've been saved, what will you do? Imagine the salvation being like the decree. You've been set free. You're no longer a slave. Yes, identity. I'm a noble in the kingdom. And now I'm sitting on the sidelines. Not doing. And I'm saying, yeah, but I was set free. And then Baruch is over there going, to what? You were set free to what? Get to work. Get to work, you stupid nobles. <laughs> he burned. He burned. He was working hard. Paul worked hard. We must work hard. How many people have ever felt burnt out? Been in burnout before? Let me talk about burnout for just a second because I've been through it about four times in the last two years and I want to tell you what I've learned. In burnout, we talk about burnout and we do everything we can to avoid burnout. Yes? Agree? Don't do this or you'll burn out. I want to tell you, I actually think burnout is from the Lord. Here's why. I think because many of us are perpetual children. And so we do lots of things based on our emotions. Let me, let me speak this for just a second because we're also friends here. We'll get right back to the word, I promise. This is a big deal. <laughs> Burnout, I think, is how we let go of who we were as children in the Lord and grab onto who we're supposed to be as mature adults in the Lord. Here... So much feelings and emotions is what we base our obedience to the king on and righteousness on. If I feel it, burnout, what we really mean when we say that, y'all tell me if you agree with me. What we really mean when we say burnout is I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel it. Let me ask you, mothers in the room, do you feel it all the time? You're feeding those kids, changing diapers. 
Dads, do you feel it when you go to work all the time? Do you feel it? You feeling it every day? How do you feel? Does your boss care about how you feel? Does the baby care about how you feel? No. But when it comes to this, well, this is my personal thing, though, that's supposed to make me feel good. No, it's not. You were saved to do good works. You don't feel it? That's okay. It's okay to go through burnout, remain, ride through it, and come out on the other side still faithful. Let's put that to rest here. Part of our language here in this culture, I'm not afraid of burnout. Because when I burn out, that just means that all my strength is gone. I continue to be faithful, just like a husband, even if he doesn't feel it with his wife, continues to be faithful. Because that's what mature people do. My feelings and emotions don't dictate my obedience. I have no idea where we're at on here. Oh, let's just go to the scripture again. <laughs> Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. That was almost like beatboxing. Next to him... Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Meshulam was getting at it, y'all. If you go around and look, you'll see his name several times. Made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants. Merchants! These were salesmen coming and doing the work. Shout out to all you salesmen out there. Of which I was one. Opposite the inspection gate. And as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheet gate. The goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Boom. We just did Nehemiah 3. We read through these things and we skip over them sometimes. Because we don't realize what was really going on. Everyone didn't just break off and do their own thing. They were directed there was vision, direction, and leadership. It has often been said that the sections of wall were simply repaired where each person lived. This is what we said just a second ago. Well, this was true for some. Many people repaired sections opposite their homes or on the opposite side of the city. Sometimes we aren't aware of the work that we're supposed to be doing. I would say if that's you and you're not aware of the work that you're supposed to be doing, ask somebody. If I am uh, working, I've been working with my son. Y'all know I brought him up here when he had his birthday a few weeks ago. I've been working with my son more. If I'm working and I'm working hard and I see Caleb and he's off playing with a friend or off doing something else. The reason he usually is there is because I gave him a task to do. He finished it. And he didn't come back to me to ask me what was next. And so I go to him. I say, hey, what are you doing? He's like, uh, just playing with this. Did you do this? Yeah, I finished that. Well, then come back to me and ask me what's next. Did you finish the last thing the Lord told you to do? You need some work? Ask somebody. Ask somebody. If you want to get involved around here, ask us. Will help you because it's not just about us having enough volunteers in the nursery. It's not just about wiping out 15,000 in debt. 
It's not just about adding to the feeling when we give words or sing out during worship or sometimes detracting. It is about us growing and the work of God getting done. That's why we're here. We have to realize that this is something we're gonna have to do together. Can't do it by ourselves. That lie has been sold to us for far too long. We cannot do this by ourselves. Can you say that? I can't do it by myself. But we're here and we're ready to do this. Are you guys ready to do this? Real quick, let's go to Matthew 25 and then we'll close. Chelsea, could you come play for just a little bit? I think if we were looking around, as I was, as I was doing this, as I was writing this last night and throughout the week, I kept thinking of Dave, kept thinking of Rich, kept thinking of several of you guys, Katie, who have built so much and done so much work around here. Valentin, Stephen, Brian, Ben, Mark, Josh. I thought about the worshipers, Austin, Matt, Adam, Chelsea, Jody. All these pictures started coming to mind of people that had assisted and just worked so hard. Kim, my goodness. And so many more of you guys, Zach. But I look around the room and I just see I see your faces and I remember the work that's been done and the stories being written right now. Our story is being written right now. And our story is part of the larger picture of the kingdom of God that's being built here on this earth. We are one part of it. And if we don't all do work, the others suffer. And we won't get out the sin that needs to be gotten out in our heart and the selfishness that needs to be gotten out of our heart so that we can minister effectively to those out there. That's why we do what we do in here, to train us and build us up so that when we go out, we are an army and we are hearing one voice and we are moving as one, even though we each may have different directives, we are working together to accomplish what God has called us to. Let's stand up together. This church has come to a turning point. I know it without a doubt and I can feel it. We were talking about it before service. We have come to that place. We're now, what we're praying for is we're praying for creativity, inspiration, direction from the Lord of how to serve the people out there of how to do this well, because we don't want to just jump on what the latest solution has been. We want to hear from him because when we hear from him, that's when the kind of thing that happened to Nehemiah, where a king gives a directive, the whole thing's paid for and people gather with you along the way and the story gets written down for eternity. That's when those kind of things happen. And that's what we're a part of. We're a part of his story, not going off and doing our own thing and asking him to bless it, but listening to his directive and being willing to shoulder the load. So ask yourself this morning, what do you want to be? You want to be a noble? 
Or do you want to be Baruch? Do you want to sit on the sidelines? Or do you want to be blessed? In Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. In verse 40, the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And in verse 45, he replies to the goats, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. We're not talking about earning salvation by works. We're talking about you've been saved to do good works. So let your light shine. This morning, let's make a decision together to do the work of the kingdom, to realize that this can never be shaken. And if I will build my life on this, I will never be shaken. My family will never be shaken. This church will never be shaken. The kingdom of God that we are a part of will never be shaken. Let's make a decision today to build on that rock, to let that be our foundation. We're going to take a few minutes just to let the music play. And I want us just to sit before the Lord, just stand before the Lord, sit before the Lord, whatever you want to do, but just take a few minutes before we leave. Talk to your wife, talk to your husband. Sit in this for just a second and let the discomfort of some of the things that we've talked about today, let it work in us. Embrace the uncomfortable things that we've talked about today and say, Lord, you show me because I don't want to sit on the sidelines. As the story's being written, I don't want it to be said of me. I wasn't willing to shoulder the load. I want to be blessed. We say yes to his promises when we say yes to his word. Y'all take a moment and just think.